This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas on the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shackett. I am your second and last Bad Ideas host because as you can hear, we are missing our beloved Zach Valenti. He sends his best. He will be back. However, it's a little bit of a bad news followed by good news situation. It's true. Because in place of Zach, we have a special guest star for today's episode of No Bad Ideas. The creator of Super Ordinary and other Tandon production shows, as well as the brand new That Vampire Show, it's Marissa Tandon. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? Great, great. You're doing great. Thank you for being on the show. Anytime, anytime. Actually, dear listeners, that's a lie. I am a little bit in the middle of a cold right now. So if you're kind of going like, why does that man sound so nasally and his voice so cracky? Uh, that is why I apologize. But I am so, so excited to have you on the show, Marissa, especially because you have a new thing out in the world. Do you want to just give like the listeners the like very fast 50 word pitch on what that vampire show is about yeah of course i uh would be remiss not to say we have a new thing out since you were lovely enough to be in the writer's room on that show i i contributed <laughs> some tiny grains of sand to your sand castle uh, <laughs> some it's, lovely it's, lovely it's grains. your baby <laughs> my favorite grains i or along with all of the other grains that the other writers brought they are all <laughs> equally loved and perfect um, yeah no that vampire show is our our new uh audio drama show about Cat Wright, who um, loves a totally not at all based off of shows you may have heard of before teen TV show mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, about vampire hunters and one lonely vampire named Luther. And she's a, she's a fan fiction writer uh, who I do not at all relate to. This sounds very unrelatable. <laughs> it's very, very terribly uh, fiction. I don't think anybody's ever lived this. Um, <laughs> Nobody on this call, definitely. <laughs> For no, sure. Not. I don't know. I don't know. We're 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 big premium streaming only watchers. Yes, um, that's right. Never use the internet. Uh, but yeah, we tend she... to watch TV, and once the episode is over, we don't think about it anymore. I, like I actually it. don't even talk about it ever. No, um, right. <laughs> I watch it in an isolated space. It's complete I... silence. Yeah. <laughs> um. What's Twitter? What's Tumblr? I don't know. I've never heard of her. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Kat, Kat writes fan fiction and she wins a fan fiction contest for her favorite TV show, um, in which she gets to meet the creator, uh, of her favorite show, Warren Young, who is definitely a good guy, um, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and does not at all disagree with her take on the villain and things go well. I would say. And um, there's definitely not 10 episodes of drama that ensues. No, it is a show where if we were charting kind of like character happiness and like drama, you know, the character happiness arrow only goes up and the drama arrow just like stays at zero the entire season. Dear listeners, that vampire show is brand, brand new. It came out this week. 
I got to write on it. A couple of other awesome people got to write on it. It has amazing actors. So please take a second once this show is over to look it up on your podcast provider of choice and subscribe and listen. But first, we've got some business to take care of. Um, because this is No Bad Ideas, where we find really ill-advised things that people did, and then we bring them forth and surprise each other with them, and we try to figure out if we were turning them into a good movie or a good book or a good something, what would the pitch be? And I have the first bad idea today. All right, Sarah, Marissa, are you guys ready to jump into our first bad idea? Ready. I am ready. All right. So I will say this article, which, by the way, dear listeners, there will be a episode, um, there will be a link, rather, in the episode description, if you would like to read along. It a little bit buries the lead on what the bad idea is by focusing on some of the details. So I will just highlight it right here. Cool. The bad idea is when you notice that something is happening and you're kind of going like, that's, <laughs> that's fine. That oh. probably doesn't involve me. It's okay. The, this is fine dog. That's the bad I idea. I don't need to, I don't need to pay attention to that. Yes. When you're like, this is fine dogging. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alrighty. From our good friends at the Huffington Post, the headline reads, Family finds out that odd snoring noises are five bears hibernating under house. No, no. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> the subheadline, sub because Huffington Post sometimes has these like little like subheadlines, is a California family was perplexed by rumbling, snoring-like noises they heard all winter. Then the bears woke up. <laughs> then the bears woke up is an incredible <laughs> sentence. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> like you could just like slot that into like most like, you know, like things and it would be improved. Like you could have like the, you know, like the opening paragraph of like Pride and Prejudice and then just followed up with like, and then the bears woke <laughs> up and it's like, all right. Now I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's jump into the article itself. In a bit of a reverse Goldilocks scenario, a family discovered that five bears had found their home just right. The South Lake Tahoe residents had been hearing, quote, some odd rumbling, snoring-like noises throughout the winter, but had been ignoring the mysterious sounds because, again, quote, they simply didn't make sense. The Bear League, a nonprofit <laughs> dedicated to helping people coexist with bears, wrote on Facebook earlier this week. The neighbors even suggested they might be imagining things. No, no, wrong, bad neighbors. But the sounds were in fact very real, and there was a logical explanation. Bears hibernating in the crawl space underneath the house. There's so much happening already. When the bears, oh, there's still so much more detail. Yeah, no, I, there's so much more to come, I'm sure. <laughs> When the bears, a mother and four young bears around oh a year old, gosh. woke up, the human residents of the home, quote, could no longer deny there was probably a bear under the house, the group wrote. But even then, they didn't suspect there were so many. <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> quote, the residents didn't realize there were five bears under their house until we got there and told the bears to come out. And then we counted five. Mm -hmm. Bear League Executive Director Ann Bryant told Huffington Post in an email, quote, they just thought it was one very noisy bear. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. The Bear League... <laughs> 
the Bear League then, quote, uninvited mama bear, a process Bryant said involved, quote, being territorial and scary, thereby making the bear believe it's not going to be safe there anymore. She emphasized that volunteers never physically hurt the bears, which is good. That's good. Though sometimes, quote, we do hurt their feelings. Oh, well. Wow. Um, There's a lot there, too. Yeah, I know. Once the mother was roused out of the crawl space, she called back to the cubs, and they followed her out. The Bear League noted on Facebook that three of the cubs were the mother's biological offspring, but one was an orphaned cub she had adopted last year. Bears adopting cubs is considered quite rare, Bryant said, but it does happen. In this case, the cub's biological mother had been hit by a car. Um, no idea how they know. Yeah, this. how they would know. Uh, this. <laughs> yeah, this this is not explained at all in the article. After the Ursine family vacated the crawl space, an electrical barrier was installed in the crawl space opening, so any bears trying to get in will get a small, though not hurtful, shock. One hopes. But Bryant added that prevention is the best defense against unwanted bear lodgers. <laughs> unwanted bear lodgers. And okay. here is here is the zombie movie waiting to happen. Quote, each winter, about 100 to 150 bears attempt to hibernate under homes here in Tahoe, she said. The Bear League has kept very busy moving bears out of crawl spaces, often several bears a day. A day? Crawl spaces a day. have ca- <laughs> I know. <laughs> crawl spaces have cave-like openings that seem like a vacancy sign looking for bears to hibernate. But people but people can easily solve this problem by closing up those openings. People really need to make sure their crawl space openings are closed and secured before bears go inside, especially in the fall when they are looking for hibernation stands, the director of the Bear League said. All right, so that wow. is the, that's the Odyssey. Wow. Well, we've we've gone on a journey for sure. I think what I've learned is that I don't want to be a homeowner. Um, not <laughs> in Tahoe. So much trouble. <laughs> yeah, it seems it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like too much work. <laughs> Man, oh. but also like, can you imagine like the landlord getting that call that is like, "Hey, so." <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite part was when they asked the bears to come out. They <laughs> they arrived yes. and said, "Could you please." Could you come out? And then, yeah. they, and then they were like counting the bears as they were coming out. Just like one bear, two bear, three bear, four bear, five bear. Oh my goodness. All right, I'm setting a 10 minute timer and I'm starting it right now. I mean, I feel like there's several obvious TV series that could run for years based off of this idea. The Bear League stuck out to me as like, you, you have a season where you're moving multiple bears out of homes per day? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> why, why was Parks and Rec not this? Exactly. Like, like, like stick, stick Richard Ayoade in there and you've got, you've got a series right there. There you go. Yeah, I would watch Parks and Rec, but the, the Bear League president. The Bear League president in particular is someone that really struck me because I think it, you mentioned it was a volunteer organization. Yes. Yeah. I would love to know the origin story of becoming the bear league volunteer president. And you have, you have to imagine this is, this is someone that like is at Leslie Nope levels of caring about the job and like being like as quixotic as Leslie Nope was about the bear league job. But she, I, I think she cares about the bears, not the people. Like, I think there's a, Oh yeah, there's absolutely (laughs) 100%. No traumatized homeowners, not her concern. All about the bears. 
I, I do also, I love the idea that the person they're dealing with in the, I suppose the pilot is this family that, that ignored it. They were like, mm-hmm. there's probably only one bear. And so that's, that's fine. fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love, I love the slippery slope of like, you know, stage one noise. What noise? I don't hear anything. It's probably five. Step two. Okay. There's a noise, but it's probably, ah, who knows? Who cares? Step three. Okay. We definitely have a bear living under our house. Stage four. Oh God. We had five bears living under our house. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever wrote the article had that great, wonderful line that was like, it became impossible to ignore that yes. there was a family of bears who's ignoring a bit what type of person is ignoring a bear under their home for that long to the point that i mean like, also no. leslie nope is the thing like that's the kind yeah. of person who would power through the realities of this home that i've just bought that perhaps i have been like looking to have hiding you know, for yes exactly uh has a problem with it but if i just ignore the problem Maybe one day it'll go away. (laughs) (laughs) I also, what kind of like family issues is this family having that they can, the bear family, one bear was the least of their problems. They were like, we can just, we have other things that are bigger that we really need to deal with. Look, it's 2022. Everyone's going through some stuff. (laughs) Everyone's got stuff going on. All I'm saying is that if there were a bear under the house in Marriage Story... (laughs) I would have enjoyed that movie more. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think that any of those people would have done anything about the bear. Like that, right? That, those are people that would have. <laughs> Adam Driver would have punched that wall down. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's how he wakes up the bear. Like until That's how he, wakes until up the he bear. puts his fist through the wall, the bear is fine, sleeping, ignoring everything. <laughs> right. Once the fist goes through the wall, all of a sudden the bear is awake. <laughs> it's that, or it's the the family from Parasite. The way they were able to simply ignore. <laughs> yeah. There is a very good, like, uh, Zootopia style or like, no, better than Zootopia, like Bojack Horseman, Animals mm. and Humans Interacting style remake of Parasite to be had here. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I, I do. I do kind of love like the the slight horror movie twist you could take with it, though. I know Midsummer sort of already did the bear, but you could <laughs> there there is something about a, a bear, but maybe from the point of view of the bear. Right. Something that's, about that, that's more interesting to me. Right. If it's going to be that, and I think it has to be the horror of like human settlement encroaching on the natural landscape. Right. And like this family of bears, some of whom are uh, blood relations, some of who are orphans, also because of humans, find this spot that seems to work for them. But then it too is invaded by these inexplicable um bandy pale beings um who have no fur and are weird yeah i think you you open that movie with the the biological mother getting hit by a car yeah for sure being adopted for sure what a specific detail yeah and again i'm i'm so fascinated by like how how they would know like where is your knowledge of this coming from i mean i I wonder if the bear league or anyone who does animal control in that area tags tracking yeah yeah Yeah. maybe did they mention any um, qualifications you have to have to be part of this bear league? That's another training? thing not, that we not, could. Not in the article. Yeah. <laughs> so I am. I am curious. Do they yeah. just let you? Let you help? I guess bears? if you volunteer and you sign a waiver, you know. I. Oh. You know. 
when I was in, I went to, this is, this is related, I promise, uh, because mm. we could put this character in. Uh, I was in summer camp and all of our camp counselors were Australian. I don't know why. I think they like came, it was, it was like a There's program like a of some work, sort. work, yeah, work yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, so they were all Australian and it was in the, the mountains in California and we had a camp store with food and, and things yeah. like that. And a bear came out of the woods and broke in and was just eating everything. And obviously this was chaotic, but one of our camp counselors um, was very familiar with wild animals, having been an, on the Australian outback for most of his life. And so he simply corralled the bear with a with a whip in the air. He didn't hit the bear, but he he walked it back to the to the woods. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, a moment of understanding between this man and the bear that was like, I'm not going to hurt you, but you can't eat our candy bars and i i uh-huh. there's something there's something about that type of person that can can have that oneness yeah you know there's just ability to communicate across species yeah, yeah yeah with with no words no anything but also a lack of fear he was like i i can handle this do not call the professionals right it's fine <laughs> three and, and a half minutes by the way i wonder if there's a a story of of someone who the president of the Bear League, um, who is very like Leslie Nopish and cares a lot, but has never had one of those moments. Mm. Um, and like to win re-election to president of the Bear League needs to get some more time in the field. Um, and she's partnered up with, oh, I don't know, Nick Offerman, um, who can do this all the time. <laughs> Uh, but has never wanted leadership or responsibility. Um, uh-huh, and it's sort uh-huh. of like a buddy comedy situation. That's what strikes me out of everything that we've talked about. And it could be a Phil Morris show. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm curious what, what I, you're thinking, Marissa. Yeah. I, I like that. I like a, a very competent person versus a very openly uh, naive but well-meaning yeah. person. Um, and there's something nice about like that. I mean, obviously it worked for, for Parks and Rec, but um, something nice about that, that, that balance between two where you do need both to be able to lead, right? You need that. Right. And it's a, I think it's a very sweet, um, sweet buddy comedy with a bear, buddy, a, a truddy comedy. Yeah. I would suggest <laughs> swapping the genders around. Like having oh, like sure. a very excited, eager person that just like graduated with like their master's in forestry and like, you know, their specialty in bear studies, um, having that played by insert young, funny male actor here and having William like, Harper Jackson to keep it in the boom, there we the, are. Uh, perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> Fremulon <Yes>. family. <laughs> um and having sort of like that person that is like, you know, like they dropped out of high school at age 14, or I guess that would be before high school even. Like, you know, like they never even made it through high school, but like they've been living out in the woods and lumberjacking and have been like staring down bears for mm-hmm. 30 years. Having that played by uh, Sarah? Kristen Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> A digitally aged up Kristen Stewart. Am I wrong? Done. But- Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> Kate Blanchett was right there. You That's know? true. <laughs> it could be Kate Blanchett. I feel like Kate Blanchett. I don't know. Oh, you know what though? That I like Kate Blanchett in that photo of Taika Waititi of her in oh, full yeah. Hera outfit. That's yeah. that's that yeah. that's that poster for me. There you right go. There. Um. All right. Great. 
I we're speed we're gonna speed along because we have fifty seconds left. Okay, um, I think this probably works a little bit better as a film. Like I, I agree, think that you agree. could kind of do like an all killer no filler film. Whereas if you were trying to stretch this out over like five seasons, eventually it would be like, oh, they need to get a bear out of another house. Okay, okay. Um, they need to get bear out of a skyscraper now. <laughs> they just have to keep escalating. Right, 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 right. Uh, I think that you can just like have the best escalation in the movie itself. Um, I think that at certain points they like somehow start to the main bears they need to deal with are in some ways a mirror reflection of the two of them, like sort of like one old and antisocial, one young and over eager. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it called? Oh God, the unbearable bareness of bearing bears. The I un- mean, that's that's the temp. Yeah, uh, I like that. for sure. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing to beat. <laughs> I, what's the what's the Nick Cage? movie coming out the unbearable the uh, unbearable weight of massive talent yeah Yeah. i think we should name it that i don't even think we should unbearable (laughs) which is a hyphen it's totally different it's totally different (laughs) nick cage can voice the bear oh my god done my done and done that's the one all right guys uh, well you survived (laughs) this little journey to bear country well done Oh, this was delightful. Thank you, Gabrielle. Um, I now have to ruin it. Well, here's before you ruin it. Here's a question <laughs> that uh, that the, like I've been contemplating. Sure. Does the fact that four out of the bears hibernating in the the crawl space were cubs does that make the situation more dangerous or less dangerous? I think more because mothers were that's what we, would thinking, be more right? likely. I agree to attack. Um, yeah. to protect the cubs. All right. This cool. is what I think. That's that's also my reading, but I was curious about. And I did go to friends. college for bear studies, so. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. You had me for half a second, actually. I'll be honest with you. I was like, oh, what did she go to college for? <laughs> Film, so I learned nothing. But I bet that there was a bear in at least one of those movies. That's true. It's There's true. a lot of bears in movies. There's, to be fair, there are bears in movies. Reverend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For God's sake, go ahead, Sarah. Ruin it. Let's move on. Uh, okay. Here I go. I swear uh, to God, if there are not bears in this next idea, there aren't, and there shouldn't be. Ah, um, right. because uh, I I have pulled. I don't know how good of a story this is, but this is the worst bad idea I've seen in a really long time. Um, it comes from Reddit, naturally. Okay. Oh. Um, naturally. And it is uh, a, just a, a paragraph of terrible text, uh, which if you want to read it along, dear listeners, a link will be in the episode description. Uh, but this comes from a new subreddit for us, Reddit r slash Legal Advice UK. So this oh, is happening oh, no. in Britain somewhere. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Already. <laughs> um, okay. So, all right, my my loins are girded. Like hit me with this. <laughs> I, I it just there's there's a uh, so the the title of this post is new policy at work defies all common sense when it comes to fire safety. Can this be legal? Um, I have seen this, and it is you are correct. It is quite possibly the worst idea that we've ever talked about in the show. Oh my yeah, god! No, yeah, no, this is this is this is bad. This is yeah. just bad. Um, so the poster writes: I work in a fairly large bakery factory. For context, the policy used to be that if you hear a fire alarm sound, 
everybody goes out to the fire point in a calm, orderly fashion, which is the Very fire sensible. policy everywhere for everything, hopefully. Now they have decided that in order to save product in the event of a false alarm, that the managers and the mixing staff, the mixing staff are not bosses uh, to the bakery op operators, but they do earn more money. So I guess that makes them more senior. Uh, they go out and the bakery ops have to continue as normal on the line until six minutes have elapsed, in which a second alarm will sound and then the quote, essential, yet least paid staff will make their way outside. Oh. It, sh it should also be said that in training, we were shown a video of how fast a fire can grow from a small and seemingly harmless one to an inescapable inferno. If memory serves, it was something like six to eight minutes. The logic being that 90% of the time, it's a false alarm. Uh, I think I think the poster means the, the logic behind, behind the new policy being that 90% yeah. of the time it's a false alarm. Now I was made to sign this new policy training sheet, but I don't feel like taking even a 1% risk of burning to death for a few hot dog buns, to be honest. My question is, can they legally do this? Will they legally be able to fire me if I ignore the new rule and leave the line to get to safety when the managers do? It seems to have gone backwards in terms of fire safety. Is there some kind of body... I can consult. Uh, and the responses to this, that luckily there are lots of, of bodies and health and safety experts in the UK. So hopefully the poster has escalated this incident. But I bring to you the worst fire safety policy of all time in a factory full of flour, which when it is aerated and floating like dust in the air is incredibly combustible. Yeah. Um, and I will put 10 minutes on this timer. Yeah, and I do believe that they are correct that, like, in the world of, like, fire prevention and containment, like, six minutes is a, like, you know, before this point, you are dealing with one class of problem. After this point, you are dealing with another class of problem. If at all possible, please leave before <laughs> the six-minute mark has come and gone. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, is... so we're right back to parasite. We're right back to, like, you got to eat the rich at a certain point. <laughs> So I guess if if people leave the line that they're working on because they're mass producing like hot dog buns and stuff, and they leave the, the every you hear the fire alarm, you just go bounce. Then a certain amount of bread product will be wasted because the line is still running, but no one is doing their job, uh, and so they want to prevent yeah, that you know, waste. Like, and like things are not going to get processed, like you know, like. Things are ingredients are not going to get out of the proper way. You're going to end up like losing things. This yeah. does not help our movie, but it seems to me that the fire alarm should also shut off the line. Yeah, doesn't it? You, you, you should. You would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> not to not to give the easy solution to the problem, but it it just seems like I'm sure that it costs money to install that program. Um, sure. So, yeah. you know, so like, why would you do that? Yeah. yeah. Let's just put people's lives in danger. And may and may they may be thinking of like time, like they they have a certain quota of stuff they're supposed to hit for the day and if if they shut off the line uh and you have everyone evacuate, everyone come back in, that's 15 minutes of time you're losing, baby. Those hot dog buns aren't going to bake themselves. That's real money. I would say there's something very specific about it being hot dog buns. Hot there dog is. buns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think this movie takes place on the 4th of July. Ooh. ooh. I love that <laughs> idea. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Like in many ways, 
that is the thing that presents itself as abstractable out of this. It is kind of a like the fire code should be a part of it, but like I think that a, like, a big part of it, it's almost like you can have like a microcosm of the French Revolution that happens inside a hot dog factory on the busiest day of the year when like they have to absolutely just kind of like produce, 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 produce because they need to hit their quota. And you're kind of following a couple of characters in the different like social stratas of the factory as right. the working class snaps and like right. takes over the factory <laughs> by force, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think there's it's it's interesting that it comes out of the UK because there's something distinctly American about Yeah. Um, I yes. hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I um, I had and I was just like, I guess I mean they do have them over there. I'm sure they're called are they called hot dog buns? Are they called something different? Um I don't know, but it but does I make guess. a little it, it makes a little bit of sense now that like it would be like the new policy in case of fire is stiff upper lip, carry on, you know, <laughs> like keep calm and keep making hot dog buns if it's like really bad we'll actually let you know yeah the, those signs are plastered on the the wall of the factory for sure yeah but uh, keep calm and press another bun, <laughs> press another bun. <laughs> oh, man. i do wonder like is there is there someone who is like a retired fireman that has ended up mm. making like that can lead a revolution of some sorts Right, so maybe like their their son or their uh their some relation to them, mm. um their sister starts working in this factory to make some extra money and like offhandedly mentions things that this retired uh fireman is like, wait, say that again. Yeah, <laughs> I think that it also is like the fire is maybe like the drop that breaks the camel's the straw that breaks the camel's back. There we right. go. Um. But, like, there's a lot of other things. Like, there's, like, you know, Paul was forced to come into work even though he's, like, really sick and, like, he's going to get us all sick. Like, you know, like, this person was forced to work, like, three hours of overtime with no extra pay. Like, this is horribly, like, unhygienic. This is, like, bad. Like, this is, like, you know, um, like, we were forced to work for two hours and, like, the smoke from that, like, machine that started to overheat because we've been telling them to replace it for, like, six months, but they haven't done it or whatever. Like, there's kind of, like, a lot of, like, little abusive things that happen on the way towards everything breaking. And we can periodically, because this is Britain, cut to a private dining club where men in monocles and top hats are laughing and smoking cigarettes. Yes, 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 absolutely, <laughs> absolutely can. Or cigars, rather. Excuse me. Yeah, I would love to see, like, you a... You get a pipe in there. There you go, there you go. <laughs> like a bubble pipe, though? Like, the... <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because the it's thing like is, these aren't, these aren't old dudes. These are Bitcoin bros who now own this factory. Oh, I hate oh, it. Yes, is is Bitcoin the thing anymore? Now I think it's it's NFTs. Oh sure, crypto. sure. Um, maybe they are uh, mining NFTs of hot dog buns. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, but you but you have to have that geez. physical product too so they've solved the problem of the punch <laughs> by reinventing <laughs> factories there is i i think interesting too because there's like such a um you part could, of I, me just died for that <laughs> sorry to interrupt sorry. but oh, no. like i was in pain and i needed to, <laughs> need to get it out yeah. sorry marissa you were no. saying as i squirmed <laughs> Uh, there's like an environmental element to the NFT mm. aspect of things. Yeah. So yes. there is like a, I think you could, you could have a nice little commentary of if you, if this hot dog bun factory is related to NFT blockchain farming, 
I don't think any of those are the right words. Um, <laughs> I, think you, you, I think you were pretty okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I think I you're fine. I think I did it. You know uh, what I mean? Put it this way: you were as okay as the topic deserves. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you could do you could do something because there's now there's these companies coming out saying like we are environmentally uh we yeah. have a carbon yeah. our carbon neutral footprint of our nfts um versus the the exploding hot dog factory i don't know absolutely yeah maybe they explode the hot dog factory on purpose um to be sort of a tipping point for nft companies i don't know um so that it's what kicks off like true environmental engagement of some sort interesting how what is the what is the scope of this story is this kind of like contained within 24 days of this like hot dog factory revolution that is if it's within 24 days it's probably like it probably unfolds and is like brutally quashed over the course of those 24 hours sure um but if it goes on, like, does it go further? Like, sort of, like, what is the scope of this narrative? I suppose the the answer to that question depends on whether or not it's a happy ending. Yeah. For our hot dog factory workers. You have about two minutes to decide that, by the way. Ooh. Hot take. I don't know. I would, I, I, I'm usually a fan of happy endings, but I... Uh, unless unless someone's got a deep, quick romance take on this, where a hot dog bun <laughs> factory worker and an NFT farmer fall in love, um, I would not wish that on a poor hot dog worker. No, indeed. <laughs> Maybe she can show him the way. Oh no, if it's a farmer, that's less bad. But like, <laughs> um, no, no. I think I think it's uh, it feels like a almost um, what's that that book? It Ready needs to be. One? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say we could go in a direction of like. This uh, in Armando Iannucci's comedy where everyone is terrible and everybody loses, but we feel good about that because mm. they're terrible. Sure. Um, I don't hate that. I don't, I which that. I think is is maybe the happiest possible ending, other than um, the complete overturning of capitalism in this movie. Yeah. Right. A realistic right. version the, of the hot dog revolution of our dreams, like, is the real <laughs> happy ending. <laughs> But short That's of that. the tagline for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is this thing called? Like, what is the title of this um, work of art? Between two buns. Ooh, I love it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Or something. Yeah. Uh, when the yeast rises, the the yeast also rises. The yeast <laughs> also <laughs> rises. Ooh, oh, beautiful! That's incredible. Slap that on a poster right away. <laughs> Okay, last 30 seconds, who is the focal character for The East Also Rises? I think it's an assembly line worker. I think that it's like the guy that is in charge of... If it was a, so I don't know if it's like... With hot dog buns, I don't know. But if it was a burger factory, it would be the guy in charge of like sprinkling the sesame seed on the buns. Mm -hmm. Like some like stupid, menial, like tiny detail that it feels like people should not be doing it anymore. But this guy's doing it for pennies on the hour. Like he is the worst paid guy in the entire factory. I think artisanal hot dog buns have sesame seeds, so I think. Oh, works. boom! There you go. Problem you solved. Go. Yeah. Problem solved just in time. Who? <laughs> uh, You're right, Sarah. That is a terrible idea. Oh it's, my god! It's yeah. the worst idea I've seen in a very long time. Um, I hope this factory's policy is overturned very quickly. Me too. Me too.
Well, I guess we can uh, file some complaints with the with the British Embassy. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the meanwhile, we'll we'll take a quick break and then be back to talk to Marissa about that vampire show. Can't wait. Hello there, Zach Valenti, jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions, as well as how to sign up yourself. Head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas. folks welcome back to no bad ideas with special guest star marissa tannen marissa thank you so much for joining us once again oh Um, of course and thank you for letting us pick your brain about your new show so let's start at the beginning like origin story like what was the genesis of this idea how did that vampire show sort of come into being so i don't know if you've heard about this um website called tumblr uh, Never heard no. of it. <laughs> um, no, I explain I, Tumblr to us. Yeah, let me explain. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> uh, no, I won't. I won't take that challenge. Um, <laughs> wise, wise, wise. <laughs> um, no, I I was kind of. I think I sort of was like, oh, I can't be a fan of things anymore because I'm creating things. So I can't publicly Mm. be this crazy person I was when I was a teenager in in early college. And then I was like, in in lockdown, I was like, oh, well, here I am regressing to my old ways of caring (laughs) only about television and fictional characters and the internet Mm -hmm. um and here i am watching buffy the vampire slayer for the very first time in covid uh which was crazy Um, amazing yeah and then i was like oh man remember how nice it was to forget all of my problems and project them onto fictional characters i wonder why i wanted to do that and now i'm old enough to some degree drug yeah nothing like it there's just nothing True. like it. And it was it was nice to return to it in like the worst time on earth of being trapped in your house and everything in the world is falling apart. Um, and I I went back to that and wanted to explore that fandom space. And then Kat made a lot of sense to me as that past version of myself. Mm. Um, but Warren, Warren made a lot of sense to me on the other side of it. Of I think previously my version of this story would have just been um sort of a fandom with no interaction uh whatsoever with the people who make the show um 
but there had been this uh this this little tv show when i was in high school called team wolf mm-hmm. um not a big deal at all but no. uh I, I remember being a deep fan of it and then i remember mtv finding out that fandom existed and they ran a <laughs> fan fiction contest <laughs> um you can kind of imagine like you know like somebody's uh, report getting slapped on someone's desk just being like <laughs> fandom exclamation they're point. like have you heard about this there's um, a site called <laughs> fanfiction.net yeah and and that that show in particular the network got so involved in fandom like they ran uh, they ran a fan fiction contest where you got to go meet the creator of the show and have dinner in his house um wow. they aired fan art on the sh- on the network like in commercial breaks they show they put fan art on the on the the tv on show. the air yeah yeah on the air they did a couple of marketing campaigns and i just remember feeling so uncomfortable with it all um yeah. and being like yeah. this is this is actually i don't want you to know that anyone's talking you're supposed to just make the show and we talk about the show and then you stay apart it's two apart things there needs to be some separation of church and state exactly um and i that happened when i was in high school and then i was playing with this idea of wanting to do something in the fandom space and uh now i would say being a creator on the other side as well trying to find a way to balance those two ideas and then i thought well what if what if we did a what if we did a fan fiction contest? And so came that vampire show. Amazing. Nice. Now, a little bit ago, you mentioned Kat and Warren, who are respectively the protagonist kind of fan who is looking into the world of Bloodlines and who does get wrapped up in this contest. And Warren, who is the problematic, to put it mildly, show creator of sort of her... um. Of, of that vampire show that Kat watches within that vampire show. <laughs> How much of it, is there an element of like autobiography in them? How much of there is an element of like, you know, alluding towards like any particular like real celebrities in them? Like obviously kind of like there is a lot of sort of like the pop culture that permeated a lot of our minds kind of like growing up swirling around here. But how much of it is it supposed to be like a straight line to people and how much of it is supposed to be kind of like the gestalt of it all? Yeah. Well, so I think my favorite thing about having a writer's room is that I don't have to answer that question (laughs) (laughs) because there were other people that worked on it. Um, But I think everybody, because of how our room was put together, um, everyone probably had different, points that they were pulling from like i know you're a big buffy person i was a big supernatural and um and teen wolf person growing up um and then like for example alex wisenhunt didn't watch any of those shows it was just not her her viewpoint um and cassidy i think is kind of into into fandom but not as much into that same space as as perhaps other people in the room or myself and so i think the cool part of it is that when I started, I probably had pretty clear um, places I was pulling from, uh, and then bringing in other perspectives probably probably made those characters for the better their own characters because everyone was pulling from different points of view. And so, yeah, I would say I would say Cat when I Cat when I started out was very much um, who my friends were in high school, mm. and I think as like a as an amalgamation of of that experience um 
she got probably grounded a little bit more in the room of being her own person and being more um being more of a not someone who went to high school in 2012 like (laughs) being more present um and uh and i think warren um I, I have a soft spot for Warren. So I know he's, I know people are not going to like him, but I love him. And I think, <laughs> I think he, he got more humanity and more, um, more of the parts that maybe I was not willing to be as uh, brutal with him. There, there was more brutality brought in from him on that side too. Something that I would put to both of you in then is uh, when, when you are working sort of you're creating a fictional universe but it's one very much in conversation with our real world and how fandom presents itself um in american culture do you start with sort of characters and situations just kind of like try to see how they'll play out or was part of the impetus for this some of that discomfort that you were mentioning marissa with like how creators interact with fandom and and trying to create art that that speaks to that and and do you i guess my question is sort of do you do you run from the characters or do you run from an idea about this phenomenon um and then allow characters to interrogate that that's such a good question (laughs) it Um, is and i have a very frustrating answer which is of course you do uh which is you know insert road of el dorado gif of like both 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 is good both is good um and for me, it's particularly funny because I got to write two episodes of this first season. If I'm remembering correctly, I got to yep. write episode four and then episode eight. That um, is correct. And uh, no no spoilers shall be said beyond episode four was something where I kind of began from like a very human reaction, like from a very kind of this character is going through something and... I am sort of completely just laser focusing on what is her emotional reaction to Mm -hmm. kind of like all these like different bumpers that she's hitting in this like pinball machine. And the pinball machine happens to kind of be this like milieu about I'm meeting people that are involved in this show. I'm sort of having my like ideas of what the show is colliding against like the realities of what is happening around the show. And then episode eight was a little bit the reverse process of that because episode eight sort of was one that began from like a more intellectual let's have a discussion of where a line exists of kind of like where and how creators and fans interact and there was kind of a lot more of like me sitting down on my notebook and like writing down like both sides of that argument and kind of like talking it out and then afterwards kind of building a like emotional scaffolding of a plot kind of around that argument so yeah so there's a lot there's a lot of both in the show, but I kind of approached one episode from one direction and one episode from the other direction. Interesting. Yeah, I would say I, I uh, not only agree with all of that, but would add that for me, I think I was writing, trying to capture a specific feeling in each episode, which sometimes came from uh, specific events and sometimes came from character mo- moments. Um, but one of the big feelings I wanted to capture for myself when we were starting was my first um my first internship actually in LA was uh at MTV so i i was an intern there the last season of teen wolf which was crazy um but i remembered this feeling of sort of the curtain being pulled back yeah. a little bit um and realizing 
as a, a 21 year old idiot, I suppose. Uh, the, <laughs> the only kind of 21 year old there is to be. Clear. I was going to say, like, you know, like, only... which is where we all were at age 21. <laughs> one type. Um, but uh, I remember this like feeling of, uh, um, or I suppose warring feeling of I am in the room where it happens, so to speak. And also, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I can't believe this is what happens in the room. Uh-huh. And how like, there's this, this it, it's a, it's a, huge excitement and a crushing realization of how everything works which is not to say anything bad about mtv they were some of the coolest people i've ever met but it is just a loss of naivete i suppose Mm. when you realize oh my my dream job is still a job and that's not you know that's not that's not what happens to cat cat doesn't work in the industry and and get this you know crazy experience but she does have a chance at an even younger age to say, here's this thing I love. And it turns out that making it is, is actually hard and people do that. And I think she had arguably as I did a a bit of a self-righteous response to that of, Mm. I can't believe, (laughs) I can't believe people would do this. It's a dream. It's like, okay, well they're adults and there's a, a real experience to making art. And sometimes making art is, um, is not as exciting as it, as it seems like it would be, there are still things that have to happen um, in that machine. So I hope that we got that down. Um, But I knew that was sort of where I wanted to write from. And then Mm -hmm. it was sort of backtracking to say, how do we pull all of these intense feelings into two human beings and the others that are, um, that are sort of affected by their, their choices and finding a, finding a way to do that. And then that's where the plot sort of came in. Amazing. I think that like one of the things that I really responded to in this world that you kind of brought us into was that, yes, the people that were making the within the reality of this fictional universe, the people that make Bloodlines, that vampire show, which Kat is a fan of, they are deeply flawed human beings. They all have shortcomings and imperfections and let's call them uh quirks shall we say <laughs> um but the show also went out of its way to sometimes point out the imperfections not just in cat as a person but in her expectation of mm. sort of how that world worked of kind of you know you are being terribly naive in some respects you are being uh you know you're having these expectations that are there's no reason for you to think that this is how it would work, let alone right. for the world to actually meet you at like this like very strange elevated place where you think <laughs> that everything should be. Um, and kind of like, you know, like based off of that, you know, like is there some polemic particularly to this show to kind of like talking about fan and creator relationships in a way that is like critiquing the fan side of that equation um is that again sort of like or is that just kind of like a little bit more like personal experience no rather I... than like staking a political flag sure? fuck the fit no um <laughs> no <laughs> Let me like you how but... <laughs> um, not too much <laughs> no i i do think to some degree there's absolutely a conversation about that in the show um I think one of my favorite things about writing um, teenage characters uh, in general um, and something that I I think uh, applies across some of my other work with Super Ordinary 
is that when you are a teenager, everything feels like the end of the world. Yes. Um, and arguably, it is the end of your world. And that's what matters at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so I think I think as a fan, it, not just as a teenager, but across the board, generally speaking, you are that deep of a fan because you love something so deeply because it makes you feel good in a world that generally makes you feel bad. Um, and it is very, very, very easy to forget that there are people behind the work that makes you feel that way. Um, and I think it is so easy on the internet to say that somebody didn't do something right. And I think fan fiction, as someone who has read it, has written it, has cared about it, has loved it, can be taken from from a creator point of view as, well, you didn't like it. You didn't like what I gave you. And I worked really mm -hmm. hard on this and I spent all of my hard work doing it and you're doing fix it fic, which is for the uninitiated, uh, literally a concept where you rewrite or write a new ending to a show that you feel was done incorrectly. And there's even like perhaps a certain element of like, and you're going behind my back, like, you know, instead right. of like talking to me <laughs> and being like, here is the rational critique. I am just kind of like slyly going off to the side and being like, oh, here's how it should have actually ended. Here's right. <laughs> yeah. That's my dirty secret. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like, I don't even, not only, not only do I not like what you gave me, I don't even want to talk to you about it. I'm going to go talk to my friends who also hate what you did. And uh, we're just going to talk shit about you. Like, I think it yeah. just hits right back to that really emotional uh, space. And I think we can all speak to the fact that writers aren't necessarily the most emotionally stable. What do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I do think, I think there was a part of me that thought back to how hard it could be to, to see that about your own work and how much heart we put into what we do. Um, and also having gotten a chance to work with some of these people and to see all of the hurdles that do come that you can't you're not writing just exactly but when you when you write fan fiction there's nothing in your way you can write whatever you want and maybe that was the ending yep. i wanted to give it but there's 400 people that wear suits and have a lot more money than me that tell me you can't do that it doesn't matter sorry right um and so I think there's so much behind the scenes that that as fans, we don't think about because we don't have to. Um, but as writers, we look back and we're like, why are you yelling at me? I did my best. <laughs> like, I, I did exactly what I could do. Um, and you can't very well turn around and say, well, here are all the political decisions that happened that kept me from doing that. Here's the reason it doesn't work. Here's my six season plan that... <laughs> Like, what a power move. What a power move it would be, though, that like <laughs> begin like the last episode of a show and like the first five minutes are like the creator coming on and being like, hi, everyone. OK, before we get started, here's a couple of things that you need to know. Number one, you know, like projector slide like this guy. The creators Vito, of Lost like, actually made this joke of like at the start that the end of the last episode would just be like a CGI monkey coming out and being like, OK, here are all the answers you want. <laughs> Don't yell at us anymore. <laughs> they didn't actually do that, but honestly, I love that. They joked about it. No, I'm like, I think that, like, honestly, like, I think the worst part of it is that there are some people out there, and I don't know how many of them there are, but there's at least a hundred of them that I think would have been happier with the monk, the digital answer monkey, <laughs> than with the finale that they actually put together, which, for the record, I think is a pretty solid finale for Lost. And it brings... Oh, God, I got us into Lost. No, I'm going to get us out. I'm going to move us away. Oh, great. Uh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> all right, all right. 
that's a, that's a conversation for a different time. But I'm curious, you know, thinking critically through the process of, of making this series about sort of the utility of art to fans and to artists, if creating the first season of the show has changed how you um, relate to your own writing or relate to the fandoms that you're in at all. Um, Cause that's something that I've been thinking about over the course of the pandemic of just like what the fandoms that I follow do for me mm. and how that relates or doesn't to my life as a writer. And often I found that like, they're very, very separate emotional needs weirdly. Yeah. I would agree with that. Actually. I think I would say for me to some degree, what's interesting to me about it is that when I was in my deepest love of being a fan of things um, and being on the internet, I had no intentions of going into the creative space. I was mm. very uninterested in it. Um, I was planning to go to school to be an engineer. I took my gap year to work in computer science and engineering. Um, and television was what I did to simply enjoy myself. And now creation of art is what I do um, all the time. And to some degree that pulls you out of being in the fandom space, I think, because I only recently have started checking what people say about our shows online. <laughs> um, I'm so scared <laughs> to, to find one person that, that, that I'm sure will say something that, that is not what I intended or they don't feel represented or they felt like they didn't like yeah. this turn or whatever. And every yeah. part of that, you're just like, I'm like, Oh, well that will break my heart and I never will want to write again. And I, that's not going to work. And I'm going to read 100 glowing reviews afterwards. And afterwards I'm only going to be able to focus on like oh, that yeah. one negative one. Right. Absolutely. It's like none of, none of the other ones will matter. Someone could literally like, I have, I literally had people come up to me and talk to me about how super ordinary helped them talk about their anxiety. And that's all wonderful. But I also saw one review that was really mean and wasn't intentionally probably mean. It was just about how they felt and probably something I would have said in high school. And uh, that's the one I think about. I don't ever, <laughs> that's the one that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that ruins my day. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think with that, it's like, it has definitely made me more conscious of what I say. I've really gotten to the point that I only ever post positive things about stuff I watched like I liked that show that's or <laughs> that's yep. about the extent <laughs> if I didn't like it I'm not going to tell a soul um on the internet uh and so I think that's definitely changed it um in that sense I'm, I'm probably significantly nicer and less critical openly of work but I do I would say po during the, the pandemic I got much more into going back to the fandom space and there is something so warm and inviting and lovely about it. Um, and getting back onto that side where you get to be like, well, actually, just so you know, the fans are only talking about it because they care about it this much and they are yeah. deeply affected and getting back into that positive space of of doing that. So I think it is it is so separate for me, but I would say being a creator has absolutely affected how I present myself as a fan mm -hmm. now. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like kind of bouncing off of that for a long time, we've said that nothing has made us kinder and more generous like media consumers. This is me and Sarah yeah. than like doing a scripted show ourselves, you know, like circa 2006 us, we would have been like, ah, this show sucks. The writing is terrible. And <laughs> like, now we're like, it's so good. You know, like they managed so They're many characters. doing their best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I know, and I remember sort of a recurring conversation when you have shows like 
Lost or Battlestar Galactica that kind of have some element of like long mythological mystery and a recurring sort of question was like, my God, why don't, why isn't there just a scene where the characters get together and talk about what they know? And once you start writing, all of a sudden it's like, because that scene is sucks. That scene is so (laughs) boring. Oh my God. Like that, that is every writer's worst fear of a scene where it's just kind of like, oh, it's things that it's bits and pieces that the audience already knows because they've seen every individual scene and now you want to rehash it all together. No, we're not doing that scene. Are you crazy? And so, yeah, so like there absolutely is a lot of kind of like enforced kindness at a certain (laughs) point when you're kind of a creator and once you sort of like do it. And, you know, it's funny, like we were talking earlier about like, oh, like the 400 people that you don't know about and you don't know about the budget and you don't know about this. Um, I used to have this thing about like, I'm only going to critique, say, like the writing of an episode if mentally I know a way in which I could argue that it could have been done better. Like if I can kind of go like, if it's not just, oh, that was unsatisfying, but if it's also like, oh, that was unsatisfying and I see the way that the puzzle could have been put together in a different way that would have been satisfying. That used to be, okay, that's fair game. I can talk about it. Now it's like, well, can you see a way that the puzzle could have been put together that would have been more satisfying that would have been cheaper to produce? Like where you Mm. kind of go like, oh, and also the budget for this would have been lower than what they did. Right. Because yeah, so often it's like, well, I mean, like, if you'd gone on some, like, locations to, like, some location shooting to Acapulco, like, that would have been, like, so much better. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but no, like, right. that is not going to happen. I would also say, I think something I learned more so in the, right before we started working on this show, in in the, the height of the pandemic quarantine aspect, was that response as a fan is generally about something personal anyway. Like, you're... When you get that, or at least for me, when I got that deep into stuff, it's because like like the pandemic, something bad was happening and I wanted right. to escape the bad thing that was happening. And then when the show was over, that meant I had to go back to the bad thing and I could, instead of doing that, go to the internet and continue the show yeah. in fan fiction, in Tumblr posts, in all of that kind of stuff. And so, so much of that fan reaction is actually... I'm sad and I don't want to be sad and your show actually makes me not sad and therefore I desperately don't ever want to stop engaging with the show and you can only make so much of it so I have to find a way to keep pushing into that and I think there's that's what the that's what that war is between between you know creator and fan is actually no everything that I'm writing down is because I love this show so much that I I simply cannot let it go it is the only thing bringing me peace and it is the only way I can move forward. Yeah, that's a a great answer and and something I think all of us think about as writers and also just as citizens of the internet. Um, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us and engaging with our nonsense to escape how sad we are. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) Um, If people are intrigued by uh, vampire shows and want to make mood boards for bloodlines, where should they go? What should they do? They should. Oh, uh, actually, this is a something I definitely meant to talk about. Um, the that vampire show is a show about the internet, which means it happens not just on our feed, which you can find in your favorite podcast player, at uh, by searching that vampire show or going to our website and clicking the big old you know show art on the front page. It'll take you to every podcast player link you could ever imagine of. But Cat uh, is an, a, a citizen of the internet, and therefore we are also telling her story online. Amazing. So. 
if you go to our website, you can also find Kat um, on Twitter and Tumblr at nine lives six feet under, and those are with the numbers. Um, and you can also uh, read some of her fan fiction at a on AO3 and get real deep into um, uh, into the the story that we are telling. So yeah, you can you can engage across the board in every possible way. Nice, amazing, and if people want to find you on the internet where should they go to do that you can find me on the internet on twitter and instagram at marissa kumari which is my middle name for fun fact phenomenal well thank you so much marissa for for being on we will have to have you on again um in advance of of season two always a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back next week for even more no bad ideas This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our Idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.